Thank you, Ashley, for leading us. Father's Day, uh, my dad died 15 years ago, and on Father's Day, I still picture his face, remember stories about him, the impact of a father is forever. It's a reminder of who I miss, but how much he certainly impacted me and my three sisters. Uh, you know, uh, thank you for coming. Thank you for being here and singing. You know, you know what it reminds me of? There's empty seats, but it felt like the bell center. Just life and people cheering because they have something to cheer about. And even though the crowd may be a little smaller than normal, it's louder than normal. So thank you for singing. Maybe this will remind us, uh, our COVID experience, that as we... Uh, go through uh, and finish up, hopefully, the COVID experience that we have something to sing for. And maybe it'll change our uh, expression and the level of our expression when we sing on Sunday mornings and we come to worship and connect with God. You know, uh, being a, a good, strong man is, uh, it can be difficult in a world where, uh, in our world today, I'll just stop there because I get myself going down a uh, a, a rabbit trail I don't need to go down. Um, because we don't have always good models, and the models that we have, other than our own dad, is usually something we see in the media. And of course, they have an agenda, and they're pushing, and they don't understand what a good man is. And so we, we believe that Jesus is the perfect man, and that he tells us how God created men to be men. And if you look at his life, he models what it means to be a strong and a good man. And that's why around Father's Day, we started this little three-sermon series called The Model Man. Lester introduced us uh, last week. Uh, uh, a true godly man, a model man, is full of grace and truth. These tensions that, that work together. And today I want to talk to you about uh, our strength, being humble and yet being strong. And in fact, as I studied the passage about Jesus, I realized strength actually comes out of humility. Weakness comes out of pride. So uh, I don't know if you noticed in the news in April, but uh, Air Canada, Jeff, wherever, they, wherever you are, Air Canada, he works for Air Canada. Uh, Jeff, uh, they, the government took our taxpayer money and said, we're going to bail out Air Canada. And they gave them a $5.9 billion payout. And this, of course, was after months of losing hundreds of millions of dollars. But there were conditions, and I liked it. How I thought the government made a good decision, whether you think it is or not. I think they needed to protect Air Canada. And, but they put conditions, which I thought was fabulous. And they said, you, if you take the money, you have to rehire a significant portion of the people that you have laid off. You, you also have to repay all the people that lost their tickets because of COVID restrictions. And you have to cap all salaries. And they took the $5.9 billion. Yes, yes, that's a great deal. We'll do it. Well, then in early June, if you, I don't know if you noticed in CBC, but Air Canada, story broke, uh, Air Canada had paid its top executives $10 million in bonuses. And I had to ask myself, for what? I mean, not only had they lost hundreds of millions of dollars, and not only had they laid off a huge majority of their employees, but they promised the government, we will not, we will cap our, 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 um, our, our um, salaries and our payouts. 
And yet, a few months later, here they are, they're paying out themselves. The very top are paying on themselves 10 million in bonuses. Well, the story broke, and of course, Eric Canada said, don't worry, we'll be getting the bonuses back. But I was left with a question. <laughs> of course, you're going to get the bonuses back. Uh, uh, I was left with a question, and that was this. How did those top few executives justify, in light of mass layoffs, in light of losing hundreds of millions of dollars, in light of a commitment to the government to cap their salaries, how did they justify paying themselves a bonus? In that context, even if they did a great job, how did they justify giving themselves millions of dollars in bonuses. Three words, power flows up. Power flows up. The people at the top, <clears throat> generally in this world, use their power first and foremost for their benefit. Doesn't mean they don't benefit other people, but power flows up. So the people at the top will get the most benefit. Now this isn't true just at Air Canada. Air Canada is just one of, uh, of many examples of power flowing up. This is, a, this is not an Air Canada uh, problem. This is a sin problem. It doesn't matter what period of history you're in. It doesn't matter what culture you're in. Power flows up. Those at the top receive the most bonuses. Who has, in our culture, who has the biggest salaries? Those at the top. Who get the most benefits, even from uh, government-run organizations? Those at the top. Who get the greatest opportunities? Who get the, the great government contract? Those at the top. Who gets seats at the Scotia... Be forget that. Who gets seats at the Bell Center? Who sits in the box? Those at the top. Power flows up. And we are so used to it, you go, yeah, so. Because in the kingdom of this world, power flows up. Doesn't mean that those at the top don't use their power to help other people, but primarily they benefit from it because that is the mind and the thinking of the world. And when it goes awry and gets distorted, we have residential school types of tragedies where those at the top use their power to oppress and harm those under them because power flows up. Now here's the kicker on all this. When we get the chance for power, we like that. So it's easy for me to sit here and cast stones, but do you know power flows up in the church? Power flows up at where you work. Power flows up in minor hockey. Power flows up in dance competitions. Power flows up in soccer leagues. Power flows up where you work. If you're a boss or your manager, you get more advantages and benefits. Oh, yes, yes, but I work. Ha, 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 you work hard. That, every, a lot of people work hard, but those at the top receive more of the benefits because power flows up. And sometimes that Principle creates terrible tragedies in our world. Even in families, power flows up. And then you look at Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, uh, I'm going to read three verses. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I do not have time 
to open up and look at all the truths. This, is, this passage, these three verses, are like a multifaceted diamond, and you can spend time on each facet. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Does that sound like anybody here? Anybody struggling with COVID? Weary and burdened. Anybody struggle with relational weight? Marriage or with your kids or with your parents? Health issues? Finance? Fear about your finances or future? Any of you feel the frenetic pace and the chaos of living in the world today? Any of you teachers? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you ceasing. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. That deep rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, with Jesus, power flows down. In this passage, who's doing the giving? Jesus. Who's doing the getting? Us. Now, I don't have time to spend um, intentionally on the concept of rest, but I thought I can't just, I mean, I just can't blow past it and not even mention it because it's so applicable to where we are today. So, okay, put a pin in the sermon. You know, the power flows up, power flows down idea. Just pin that in the back of your mind. Go ahead, pin it. Because I'm just going to step outside my sermon and do another sermon, just real short one for you. Because I want to talk about this idea of rest. With the rise, one of the major issues attributed to the rise of mental illness and the burnout of families and the burnout of people in our culture today is the frenetic pace and the expectations and the uh, mobility and the technology and all this added together, which is creating um, the, our hurried, uh, empty, languishing souls. And so when you heard that word rest, it just stuck out to you because you're, oh, would I love rest? Rest for your soul? You can get that? And Jesus says here, he says, you can have rest for your souls. But notice what he says to us. He said, you need to come to me, one. And if you look at it in the context of these verses, if you read the previous verses, by coming to him, he means if you're willing to submit to me. And then he says, take my yoke. Stop doing it your way, whatever it is that is causing you the unrest, the anxiety, the fear, the chaos, the turbulence in your life. If you're willing to bring it to me and submit to me and then take my yoke, handle this the way that I will tell you to handle it, then you will find rest in your soul. Now, for some of you right now, either online or here, you are like, I need that. I need that. With my family, with my work situation, with the relationships that are crumbling around me or I'm struggling in, with the expectations I put on, I just need some peace, some ceasing of these things in my soul. And so Jesus says, 
you need to go to him. You need to take that relationship or take that financial situation or take that health situation or take whatever it is that is causing you or things that are causing you to empty your soul and feel empty and striving and anxious and fearful and take those to Jesus and lay them at his feet and now say, Lord, what, how do I handle these? Show me what I do about these. I'm going to trust your way, not mine. I'm going to take your yoke on me. Now, for some of you, you need to do that right now. So you go ahead, shut off your TV. Or if you're here, you can't really shut me off. But you can, you can stop listening to me and go to prayer and say, God, what he's talking about, what Jesus brought, that's what I need. You settle that right now because better you live out the word of God than you just go through the motions of listening to a sermon. So feel free if you want to disappear in your mind or disappear off the screen to deal with this in your heart, you go ahead right now. The rest of us are moving on. But if God's speaking to you, don't move on. Okay. Caveat done. Take the pin. Here we are. Power up, power down thing. See, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you. you. He's the one that's giving, we're the one that's getting. And he, yet, remember who we're talking about here. This is Jesus, yeah. Well, do you remember some of the other names that are attributed to Jesus in Scripture? Like, son of the most high God. The all-consuming one. The alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the exalted one, the king of all, the counselor, the powerful one. He is the most the creator and ruler of the world. He is the most powerful being in our universe. And yet power goes down with him. He uses his power to help those who are weak. Power doesn't flow up with Jesus. It flows down. It's a tool he uses to change and help the people around him. Power flows down. With Jesus, power flows down. And here is... The answer to why is it like that is right in the text. So Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For, and in other words, because I am gentle and I am humble in heart. And because I am gentle and because I am humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls if you come to me and take my yoke. So what does Jesus being gentle, another word for that is meek, what does Jesus being meek and humble in heart or low, what does that have to do with us finding rest for our souls? Well, because power flows down. The term meek, I struggled with this term for a lot of years because I always viewed it as a meek person was a person like when a bully picks on them and they don't respond back and we say, oh, they're meek. Well, because they couldn't respond back. That's not meekness when you can't do something. 
That's resignation. Meekness is having the power, but not using it for a wrong purpose. And Jesus, later on in chapter 21, Matthew, in the same book, Matthew will take a, a, a quote out of Zechariah, an Old Testament prophet and book, who, where he's writing about the king coming to Jerusalem, coming to his people. And G Matthew will quote him as Jesus, gentle, meek, and riding on a donkey. I'm told, I had, didn't live back then, so I'm told by commentators that when a king with a powerful army was approaching a city, the king would ride on one of two animals. If he rode on a horse, a horse was used for war. And if he was riding on a horse, that told you his intention. He was coming to conquer, to dominate, to control. In other words, he was going to attack, beat your defenses, come in, take from you, dominate, kill, destroy, plunder, rape, pillage. He was going, him and his army were going to do it all. And, and because he was ready for war, his intention was seen on the animal that he was riding. But if he was coming to the city to bring pre peace and to bind them together and to include this area, the city, in his kingdom and had goodwill and wanted prosperity for that king, he would ride a donkey showing that he wasn't coming ready for war, but that Though he had the army with him and could destroy the city, he was coming with an intent to benefit and help the city. He was gentle or meek. And Jesus said, I'm meek. I'm not coming to dominate you and to control you and to make you do things you don't want to do and to take from you. That is not the intent of my heart. Though I have all power and I can do, nobody can stop me, I am coming specifically to help and to give peace and restore wholeness. Because with Jesus, power flows down. He uses his power as a tool to restore and heal and help and strengthen those who come to him. Now, if you don't already, if, you, if you're not tracking with me, Dad, this is where this sermon is going to end up. Because in your home, you have power. And how you use it, whether it flows up or it flows down, will greatly impact your wife and your kids. Now, he also says, so I'm gentle, I'm meek, meaning my intention is to use my power to strengthen, help, restore you. But he also says, I'm humble in heart or low. It's kind of an, another side of the word, uh, the idea of humility and meekness is having the power but using it for the right purposes. But gentle and low is that side of humility that says, I am not here to exalt myself. I have not come so that all things will raise me up and give me what I want. I am here to honor, now get this, this is important for us in our modern culture. I am here to exalt whom? The Father. We as church and as Christians, we kind of gotten off on this a little bit. We think Jesus came for us.
we misunderstand that Jesus is here for his Father to fulfill the will of the Father. He is low because he has come to serve the Father's will. He has not come to serve us. Now you're thinking, oh, that doesn't sound right, Ed. Maybe an illustration will help. Remember when you used to go to restaurants? Remember that? Come in, you sit down, we're starting to get back there. It feels great. I went to a patio this week, and same thing happens every time. I was shown to the table, and then a person came out and said, Hi, my name's Barb. I'll be your... Hello, have you forgotten that? Bet I'll be your waitress, right? What's another word for waitress? I'll be your servant. I'm here to serve you. Now, I, I have been to literally hundreds of restaurants like you. I have never seen, nor have I ever thought about taking my keys when the waitress came and said that and said, oh, okay, you're here to be my waitress? You're here to serve? Well, here, go clean my car and run through the car wash for me while I'm waiting here. Because the waitress really isn't there to serve me ultimately. She was there to serve the owner. And she served me because in serving me, it fulfilled the interests and the plan of the owner. So when I say, you want to serve? Good, serve me this way. She's like, well, hold on here. I'm not here to serve you. I'm here to serve you, but not to serve you. I'm really here. All the serving that I do has to benefit the owner of the restaurant. And so by serving you as a customer, by serving food, then that will benefit the owner. And so that's why I do this. But going out to serve and, you know, clean your car, I don't know how my owner, so I won't be doing that. I'm not really here to serve you. I'm just here to serve you. So you get the picture. Jesus didn't come to earth to serve us. He came to serve us. Because the will of the Father was that by our sin we had been separated from him and our relationship ended and we were destined to eternal separation from God and the heart of the Father and the heart of Jesus was broken by our relationship being broken. And so Jesus and the Father came up with a plan and the Spirit whereby the will of the Father would be to restore us, but the only way that could happen was if our sin was paid because God is both just and righteous and he had to deal with our sin. And so Jesus said, I will go and serve you, Father, by dying for them so that in, if they were to accept, if they were to put faith and trust in me and accept that as payment for their sins, then they will be restored to you. And so Jesus came not for his good and not for our glory, but for the glory of the Father who loves us and wants us back. And that's why when Jesus is in the garden on the night he's betrayed by Judas, Judas arrives with a bunch of elders and temple guards and a crowd carrying swords and sticks and clubs. And Jesus says to them, why do you come with sticks and clubs to get me? I, I've, I've been teaching in the temple all the time. It was a direct rebuke for their hiddenness and their wickedness and the darkness. And then Jesus says to his disciples, do you not think I could call 12,000 or 12 legions of angels. Do you know how many is in a legion? 5,000. 
Can you imagine what would happen if Jesus called the 12 legions? 60,000 angels in battle gear show up. I mean, there would be a few filling of the tunics before they fell on the ground. But Jesus said, that's that. I came to serve the will of the Father. And so he, the all-powerful one, was willing to submit himself to torture and abuse and injustice and ultimately death because that was the only way to pay for our sin. And because Jesus, because that's the heart of Jesus, that's why power flows down. So what's this got to do with us? Well, every one of you sitting here may very well be in a position of power. You may not be an executive at Air Canada. You may not be a politician where you're making the decisions for whole countries and thousands and tens of thousands of people. But if you have a role at work, if you're a boss or a manager at work, you are in a position of power. If you are a teacher, if you are a nurse, if you are a doctor, you have a position of power. If you are a police officer, if you are a coach, if you are a pastor or an elder or a leader in a ministry, if you are a parent, if you are a dad, you are in a position of power. Scripture says that God has given leadership of the home into the hands of the dad, and he gives power with that. You have influence, and you have uh, power, and it will either flow up to you, or will, you will use it to flow down to protect and care for the needs of your family. Now, I think most dads that are here or listening, your heart is, you, you, you serve your family. Most serve your family. You want to be a good dad. You want. But we buy in without thinking to the values of the kingdom of this world. Power flows up. So it makes sense when we want to make a decision that benefits us. And yeah, well, they can get used to it. But this is what I want. That makes sense to us because in our world, power flows up. And if you're in a position of power, as long as you're not hurting anyone, then you can make the decisions that you want. That's why we want to be in positions of power. But a, fo a follower of Jesus who is like Jesus and, and is a dad. Now, I'm, I'm going to speak to dads, but this is true of all of us that are in positions of power and influence. Power flows down when it comes to buying cars. Do you, buy, do you drive the nice one and the one your wife drives, barely can get her to where she's going? Or when you buy, maybe she's got a great car and you say, oh, check, I'm off the list. But what was the first thought when you were buying those two cars? Were you worried about her well-being and your kids? Or first, I'm going to get the car I want. Power flows down, not up. Power flows down when it comes to discipline. Do you, are you willing to, you know, you come home, you work hard. You come home and then, you know, your kids start to act up because they're kids. And you're like, I'm, a, I'm just going to stay watching the TV or whatever it is you're doing, and you just let your wife deal with it? See, God's given you that authority, that responsibility to get out of the chair, cut the TV off, get up, and deal with it. I know you, I, I, I had three boys. 
And I faced this temptation, and I failed at it. And I quietly let Crystal deal with issues that sometimes I should have been dealing with. Because I could. I used my power to meet what I wanted. Power flows down when it comes to decisions about money, vacations, family relationships. You, if, if you don't want it to happen, you can stop it from happening or you can make it miserable. But are you doing it because it's right? Are you saying no because it's right or because it's not what you want or what you feel like? Strong men, power flows down. Because Jesus was a strong man and power flowed down with him. So with us, if we want to be strong men, power has to flow down. Here's one. Um, I have to mention this. It's sad to mention, but you, as a dad, have physical strength that your wife and children do not have. You were never given that to harm or hurt your wife and children. You were given it to protect them. To use that strength to work hard, provide for, and protect them if necessary physically. If the power is flowing up in your family where you're using your strength to bully and hurt your wife or your kids, it's a serious problem. And you need to deal with it. I mean, probably very few people know, but you know. And they know. And so strong men use their power to protect and help their kids and their wives. Weak men use it to gain what they want. That needs to be addressed, and because we, nobody knows about it, it's, it's up to you to say, okay, I, 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 I'm not going to do it. i got to get help. i got to get help. Power flows down when your time and decisions put your wife and kids ahead of golf or TV or your friends. There's nothing wrong with golf and TV and friends, but when they dominate your time instead of your responsibility to your family, power's flowing up. You're using your ability to satisfy what you want most despite what they need. Now, as I said, I think most of us dads here want to be good dads. It's just we suffer from a thing called sin and brokenness and so to some degree or another, maybe the Holy Spirit just touched your heart and you go, yeah, that area, I need to deal with it. Deal with my money. I'm, I, it's all about me and my money or my time or about my energy or about my words or about my physical strength. I, I need to, the power needs to flow down. It needs to stop flowing up. Because strong men, power flows down. I came across this uh, picture of this story. Uh, it's out of Thailand. Uh, it's a picture of, uh, of a son. He's in the graduation robe. 
bowing before his dad. His dad is a poor farmer in a small village in Thailand. When his son was born, uh, shortly after his mother died, this man's wife died, and he made a decision. He knew that his son was going to be destined for poverty for the rest of his life. He would join him like most sons in small rural villages in Thailand who will, when they get old enough, they'll work the farm and then they'll get married and they'll work it to provide for their family. And then when the the dad gets old, too old, he'll be brought in and cared for. And he will, his son will be in a life of poverty like his dad was. And so his dad made the decision that he was going to use his time and his physical energy however he needed to in order to get enough money to give his son an education and break the cycle of poverty, which he did. And it was unheard of that a son from this village would graduate not only from high school, but would then go on to university. Uh, It's called, I can't say it right, those of you can, uh, I probably, uh, I'm not sure what the language is, Ratsputer University in Shangrai, northern Thailand. And his, his son graduated from that university because of the sacrifice of his dad, who used his power to care for and provide for his son and the life of his son and his future grandchildren, rather than expect his son to spend his life in poverty so that he would be safe when he would have somebody to help him work the farm and take care of him when he got older. That is an incredible story of power flowing down. In the world around him, all the sons worked the farms and stayed in poverty, but in his world, he chose to sacrifice himself so that his son and future grandchildren would have a whole different life. And that's why we talk about these things. That's why we look to Jesus And we learn when it comes to being a man, strong men, power flows down. We use it as a tool to help and strengthen other people. I want the men to stand with me now. If you're you're at home, just put your hand out. And men, if you're here, I just want to pray over you. Would you stand right now where where you're sitting? If you're online, just put your hand out saying, include me in that prayer. Jesus, every man that has stood here, all of us, including me, we suffer from sin. And we are trained by the kingdom of this world. And so for us, power flowing up is normal. But then you, Jesus, came to this world and you lived a life where power flowing down is the way of the kingdom. And you invite us, even command us, into that kind of thinking and behavior and lifestyle, to be truly meek and truly low, so that our our power given to us, especially as dads, is used not for our comfort or our desires or our good, but is used for the good of our wives and our children. And we struggle with that at times, and we fail at times. And we're asking for you to give us a new heart, to transform us from this day on, so that we trust you and we follow you, submit to you, take up your yoke, and do fatherhood the way you want us to. 
For some men, this is just small changes because they're good men who have truly used their power to serve you. Thank you for them. And for some men, this is a huge mountain because they have used their power to serve themselves. And I pray that here, in this moment, they would have humility to seek you and to make changes and get the help that needs to be made in order to be a strong man. And so I pray that we will give you glory in our culture by being like Jesus, being strong men with whom power flows down. In your name I pray.